Welcome to Kingwood Church. I want to say again a special welcome to all of our guests. If you're from out of town or a lot of people travel this uh, weekend, we want to say a great big welcome to you. Uh, all of our, uh, those of you who have served and are serving now, we're so honored to have you in the service. Those of you who are guests, well, we appreciate you being with us today so much. Uh, this weekend, we celebrate our nation's freedom. Uh, from the founding of our nation, uh, people were free to worship however they chose. And that's been a very unique liberty at the time our nation was founded, and it's a unique liberty today. Not every country of the world gives its citizens the freedom to worship whoever and however they choose. But America is one of those nations, and I, for one, am grateful. Are you grateful for that? I am grateful for that freedom. Now, this weekend we celebrate that freedom, but just because we're free doesn't mean that everything is well, right? We know that religious freedom has uh, come under attack, has been challenged in some ways. We recognize that although we're free, everything's not exactly the way that it should be. So today what we do is we pause to look at God and look at Scripture for a few minutes to try to figure out how do we live out the Christian faith in changing times? What do you do when the culture you live in becomes resistant to Christianity? What do you do when the faith that was once celebrated by your culture has now come under the question of your culture and sometimes even attacked by your culture. Well, fortunately, we're not the first people that have ever experienced that in world history. Uh, the Bible is full of people who've gone through that, and so today we want to look at a few of them. We've been studying this summer the book of First and Second Peter and the book of Jude. So today we're finishing the book of 1 Peter. If you've been walking through this journey with us, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, there's a reason that you've never heard a sermon series from 1 and 2 Peter. How many of you, from your memory, you've ever heard an entire sermon series on 1 and 2 Peter? How, how many of you have ever heard a sermon series in 1 and 2 Peter? No, one. Anybody else? No. You know why? It's a hard book to understand. It's a hard book to hear. It's a hard book to teach. And it's a hard book to relate to. And some of you are thinking, oh, Martha, I told you we should have came next week. Maybe this will be over. But we're, we're going to look at it anyway and try to make some sense of it. Now, what, do you, what are you supposed to do with the parts of the Bible that you can't relate to? What are you supposed to do with the parts of the Bible you can't relate to? Well, I can tell you a couple of things not to do. First, don't try to make your situation fit the Bible. Don't try to read your life into a scripture that you can't relate to. In other words, don't think just because you take on the language of the Bible, you're living the life of the Bible. So this morning I brought an example. The, I, I got a short video clip I want you to see, about two and a half minutes. The name of this clip is uh, Missionaries to Aruba. That's all you're going to get. Go ahead and play it. Hi guys, Quinn and Kylie here. We are so excited to announce our next trip. It's a mission trip. Our next mission trip, we are gonna serve humbly 
the scuba instructors here in Aruba. We are so honored. So honored. A lot of you guys have asked, why Aruba? Yeah, we actually came here on our honeymoon. Yeah, and we were out on the pier having the sunset dinner. I was about to pick up the lobster and dip it in the butter. And we so just good. looked at each other. And we just felt like God had called us for, for such a, a time, time as, as this. this. We've had so many God moments you while being here. You not believe. The cabana boys. Oh, the golf caddy. Yeah, the parasail guys. I had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with the guy I rent the jet skis from. Oh, babe, I want to hear about that. So good. When, when moments like that, we just know that we're here for a purpose. Yeah, for but sure. We can relate to missionaries all over the world where we say it hasn't been without its share of persecution. Yeah, like last week we were prepping to do this scuba dive yes. and I was wearing my cross necklace like tell I him, always do. Tell them what the instructor said to you. And the instructor looked me dead in the eyes and said, ma'am, you need to take that necklace off. Take it off. And I said, I will not. I will stand for what I believe in. Get behind me, Satan. Right, but come to find out the necklace actually would block the airflow of the mask so I had to take it off it makes it he was helping you but yeah. at the time we did feel I felt attacked persecuted honestly I feel like a lot of what we're doing down here babe is planting seeds yeah. we haven't seen much harvest but we know that the Lord is at work it's kind of like we're a living version of footprints in the sand except two sets of footprints have turned into zero that's where we lay down to sunbathing. Sun bathing, yeah. Like the other day, I was shopping for some supporter gifts for all of you. So good. I was looking at these keychains made by real orphans, and I was about to have a moment with the cashier with the cashier, lady. cashier, you were going to witness to her. I was going to witness to her, but we had dinner reservations. Yeah, so. it was not the right time. But God's timing. Back. Wherever we go, in the shops, at the car dealership, we wear the WWJD bracelets. I actually lost mine. Anyway, we just want to ask that you would partner with us and invest with us here in Aruba long term. Long term, but really for only three months because after that it's rainy season and my hair gets frizzy, so. Okay, yeah. we feel like maybe after the three months, God is maybe going to transition us out of Aruba. Don't spoil it. And we're going to be witnessing to the wine connoisseurs and vineyard owners <laughs> of Tuscany. But that's another video that's and another outfit. Yeah, totally I haven't even finished my Pinterest board. We need to be here and now. We, I talked with our accountant. All we need is $10,000 a month. Basically what we're uh, saying is that we want to ask you for prayer. Well, pray that God would ask you to give us your money. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to give. We just ask if you think about us in prayer after you've given, just ask that we would daily pick up our cross. Yeah. And just... Oh, room service. You know what I'm saying? Just it's No, I said extra caviar. No, fix that. Where's the Prosecco? What am I supposed to drink? Cut this part. No, get out. Okay, so, uh, is this on? We good? Okay, all right. So just because you take on the language of the Bible, there's a lot of language that we hear from Scripture there, doesn't mean that you're relating to and living out the words of Scripture, right? So when you get to a part of the Bible that you can't relate to, don't read into it your own life and don't just think because you're saying the words of Scripture, you're living the words of Scripture. The other thing that you don't want to do is don't, when you get to a part of the Bible you can't relate to, don't go, well, I don't understand it, so I'm just going to skip it. Because it's there for a reason. So this morning, the Apostle Peter is writing this letter to churches that are scattered all over a pioneer region. There's these isolated little small towns the people who he's writing to in these little churches and little towns are spiritually and culturally in the minority. So through this book, we keep hearing, the reason we name this uh, series Always is because we get this theme through First and Second Peter and Jude, always remain faithful, always 
stay uh, committed. And so we get this theme over and over and over and over where he says, look, stay engaged. Don't withdraw from culture. Don't withdraw and hibernate. Don't go in isolation with your faith, but always remain true to your faith. Stay engaged, but stay true to your faith. So that's kind of the message of this series over and over and over and over. So today, we're finishing the book of 1 Peter, and the section we're reading from is actually a summary of the entire book. So if you've missed the whole series up until now, you really kind of get a little thumbprint of what the whole book is in these last few verses. So what do you do when culture becomes resistant or even attacks your faith? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, here's his instruction to those churches scattered all over the region. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due season. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So if you have something to write with this morning, I just want to give you some thoughts from these last few verses on what do we do when we live in a culture where our faith has become resisted or even attacked at times. Number one, always live in humility. Now, I have to be completely honest with you. When I started studying this passage, all my instincts about it were wrong. Everything I want this passage to say, it does not say. <laughs> and so what you can't do, you got to resist the temptation to get it to say what you want it to say. Now, what it doesn't say and how it might sound like is, look, God's going to make sure that humble people are promoted over arrogant people. That's what I want it to say. Now, how many of you uh, at your workplace, somebody arrogant's been promoted? So some of you work for yourself. I'm not sure how that works out. <laughs> somebody arrogant's been promoted over somebody humble. See, see, here's the thing. That's not what this verse means. If you just take the humble route, you'll win in the end. I don't know if you noticed or not, sometimes evil people win. And it says, humble yourself and he will lift you up. He'll raise you up in due time, in due season. I want due time to mean, I don't know, now. I want due time to mean the sooner the better. But most scholars agree what this verse is actually saying is it means he will lift you up in heaven. Great. <laughs> what do we do until then? Well, the, the greater context of this verse means that we need humility. Watch this. This is a, a major underpinning of this scripture. We need humility because we live in Satan's presence and he is working against God's will in our life. Now remember, these little churches are scattered all over the region, these little towns. They're isolated, they're small, they're being persecuted, they're struggling. It's no doubt that Satan is throwing the kitchen sink right at every one of them. What are they supposed to do? Peter's answer to them was, humble yourself under God's mighty hand because you cannot win these battles by yourself. I remember uh, when we pastored in Mississippi, we had a a great guy in our church who was a World War II veteran. And he told me a story once I'll never forget. He was um, in combat. He uh, had gotten uh, separated from his uh, group. And he was across enemy lines. 
And it, was, it had turned night. He was by himself. He had hunkered down in the woods to hide. And he was surrounded by Nazi soldiers. And he said it was the most terrifying and frightening night of his entire life. He hunkered down behind those enemy lines. He lay there motionless all night long. And the only thing he could think to do is to recite. He said, Psalm 23 kept coming back to my mind over and over and over. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. And he said all night long he recited that verse over and over and over and over because he was overwhelmed with fear. Now look, that is a moment of intense humility. Why? Because you are in the presence of your enemy. And you know that you can't win by yourself. Where did that humility come from? The awareness that I'm surrounded. Do you know you and I today have an enemy and we're surrounded? But if we're not aware of that, we don't have very much humility. It takes humility to admit that we need God's grace to win over Satan's attack in our life. It takes humility to wait on God and not just rush in and try to work it out all by yourself. The next morning, the sun came up and the German soldiers were gone and my friend walked out to safety. Always live in humility because you need God's grace more than you think you do. Number two, always stand against darkness. So Apostle Peter says to them, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, that's encouraging. Resist him. Boy, circle that word, resist. That's important. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering that, pretty much that you are. Now, see, the Bible teaches that there's a spiritual world that's as real as the world that we live in. And in this world, there is a devil and there are dark, evil forces. And we tend to either overfocus or underfocus on that reality. In 1942, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters that was a fictional story between a demon writing to the devil and how they were trying to work against people to, for their harm. And uh, in the letter, in the book, it comes this quote, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and, a ha and hail a, materialistic, a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So this morning, do you tend to be a materialist or a magician? Either way, the forces of darkness are equally happy. So let's look for a minute at the tendency we sometimes have or some of us have to overfocus on this presence of the enemy or this work of the enemy. Sometimes when we overfocus on his work, we have all kinds of misunderstandings and we think that we're being attacked by Satan when we're not. I'll give you an example, I don't know. Not getting a good parking spot at Walmart is not an attack of Satan. Just want to lay that out there. 
You roll up, you know, you take a couple laps, get behind me, Satan. You know, I can't find where I'm. Not an attack of Satan. Regardless of how late it makes you getting caught by a train in alabaster. Not an attack of Satan. Going to the grocery store and what you came to buy is no longer on sale. Not Satan. Having a flat tire. Every sickness you get in your body is not an attack of Satan. It might have something to do with the way you treat your body. It might have something to do with the fact that our bodies aren't perfect and they're frail and they're open to sickness. How many of you, how many of you like getting stuck in long lines at the store? I think I tricked some of you. I don't think you actually understood the question, so I'm going to try it a different way. Like, I can't believe there are humans like that. How many of you don't like getting caught in long lines at the store? Okay, yes, yes, good. Good, good, good. This will work out very well. I, 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 how many of you can remember a time when checking out at the store was easy? Do you remember that? Yeah, it used to be easy. There was something that they had that you wanted, and you had money. And you gave them money, and they gave you what you wanted, and you went home. Do you, anybody remember that? Not anymore. I love when you go out, and there are 38 registers, and one is open. And everybody in the city of Alabaster is at that one. And they, are, they have come to town to grocery shop for the month with four baskets. And you got one thing. I just wanted some mints. It's not that bad. I think we'll work it out. You finally get up to the line, and then you hear these words that we all dread. Would you like to hear about our rewards program? <laughs> and I get the feeling it doesn't matter what you say, they're going to tell you anyway. No! Well, I'm going to read this to you anyway. And they pull it out, and here's your rewards program. And if you sign up, and you go, okay, 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 just sign me up. So they pull a clipboard out from under the table <laughs> with a pencil tied to a string. And it's the equivalent of a stone tablet that they chisel stuff out on. In 12 short minutes, I'll have you signed up. It's no problem. People are looking at you. They hate you. They hate them. It's an awkward situation. They sign you up, they want your email address, your blood type, the name of your third-born child, your ancestral tree, they want all of this information, and, and what they're going to do is they're going to send you coupons so you can have five cents off your next visit. Five cents off your next visit. And you go, can I just, can, you can see daylight out the window, you just want to be out there. You, want, you don't want to miss your children being raised, you know, you want to go and be a part of their life. But you're trapped in this prison we've called this exchange. And you say, look, I have mints, I have, you have mints, I have money. Can we just, can we just, at the same time, we'll trade and I'll run. I'll run. You just want to leave the money on the counter. And then they want your email address. They want to say, no, I just, 
Anybody feel my pain? I just want to check out. No wonder Amazon's blowing up, right? Just ship it to my house. I'll come out in my pajamas and get it when nobody's looking. Now, as frustrating as all of this might be to me and some of you, it is not an attack of Satan. <laughs> how do you know when it is an attack of Satan? Here's how you know. Is God's big will, his big plan, is God's big plan being attacked? It's not when life is inconvenient. It's not when life is uncomfortable. And it's not even necessarily when we suffer. But it's when God's big plans have come under attack. When the Apostle Peter wrote this letter, this wasn't an attack on any one person. This wasn't an attack on the, even the group as people. It was God's will was being attacked. God wanted these churches to grow in this new region, and he ultimately wanted that entire region to become the hub of Christianity in the future and send missionaries all over the world. And within less than 100 years, that's exactly what happened. But that big plan was being attacked by Satan. So when we over-focus... We sometimes misunderstand what's really going on. Then there are others of us, though, that sometimes under-focus. We, we discount. We think that we eat and sleep and work and live and die, and that's all that there is. And that's not all that there is. Not, that's not what the Bible teaches. When is the last time you thought about the devil's plan for your life? He has one. When is the last time that you thought about what are the weaknesses that I have that Satan might be setting a trap for me? What circumstances might he be working against God's will in my life? See, the devil doesn't fight fair. What challenges are you facing today? I guarantee you he's waiting for you to get to your absolute weakest and worst moment and he will hit you in the face when you're down. Because he doesn't play fair and he plays for keeps. So whether you under-focus or over-focus, the Apostle Peter gives this church some great instruction about what do you do. Will you stand against darkness? And he said, resist. How do we resist darkness? We do it the same way that Jesus did it, and we do it the same way the Apostle Peter is telling us. Don't take on Satan's ways. Don't do things the way he does. Don't fight like he does. Return, we said a couple weeks ago, blessings for evil. These persecuted Christians must have been tempted to strike back, to lash out. You know, when we get offended, when we get hurt, when we get wounded, the thing we want the most is to make other people feel as bad as we feel. And what he's telling them is, that is Satan's way. It is not God's way. Don't try to level the playing field. Peter was saying to them, don't fall for it. It's a trap. You cannot fight fire with fire. You must fight fire with water. I'm not a historian, but I think I know the story well enough to at least make this claim. Martin Luther King Jr. led in our country at a time 
when there was incredible injustice. And from what I know, it looks like that he never tried to fight that injustice in Satan's way. He, he said, I'm not going to do violence. I'm not going to lead a riot. I'm not going to destroy other people's property. I will lead a peaceful demonstration and I will live the truth that I believe. I will stand in it and there's nothing to react to about him or his life because he took everything else out of the equation. This is what resisting and standing looks like. I'm not going to run and hide, neither am I going to fight. I'm going to stand here until this changes. And that godly presence and that godly method penetrates the darkness because it shines like a star because it's so unusual in our world now. It also, by the way, takes incredible humility. And then he kind of wraps this part up and he says, hey, you know that the family of God, your brothers and sisters, are suffering like you are all over the world. And you and I can draw encouragement from the sacrifice and the suffering of other believers all over the world. One of the reasons I love going on missions trips is because I always meet someone, always. I never know who it's going to be. I never know what they're going to be doing. But I always meet someone who is sacrificing their life for the gospel in such a profound way that it inspires me and it challenges me. I remember a few years ago we went to El Salvador and we met a man and his wife who he worked at a Coke factory, Coca-Cola factory in El Salvador, and he retired early and took his retirement, um, which would not be anything like we would know of in an American standard. But he took that amount of money because he believed that God had called him because in El Salvador there are, there are thousands of orphans. And he took his retirement money, retired early, started an orphanage, put every dime of his retirement in that orphanage. And we got the opportunity to meet he and his wife. And uh, I guess there were maybe 15 or 20 orphans in their orphanage at that time. We got a chance to meet all of them, and we were able to bring them a gift from our church. And can I just tell you, standing there in his presence was so humbling, and it was so inspiring to know that someone would sacrifice and give up so much for no other reason. He'll never be, he'll never be recognized in El Salvador for that. Nobody's ever going to care. You're one person caring for thousands of orphans. So what? But he cared for them that he might give the gospel to them. As Pastor Joel mentioned earlier, um, we have a team of 20 people in Peru today on a missions trip <laughs> for 12 days. Tonight, most of us are going to eat what we want to eat. And we're going to be in air conditioning, and we're going to lay down in a comfortable bed, and we're going to sleep. And um, this weekend, most of us are going to swim or play or, you know, watch a fireworks show. 
But we have a team of Peru who's sleeping on the ground under a mosquito net out in the humidity in the jungle. For 12 days they'll be there eating local food. They took a two-day, one leg of the journey was a 12-hour boat ride up a river into the jungle because they're going literally to the edge of civilization. They took over 300 gallons of water with them. They had to pack it in to sustain them. Why, why, why would they do that? Because they're helping a church who has become an outpost in that region of the jungle. And there are people in the jungle who are becoming Christians. And there are people in the jungle who are hearing God's call to be a pastor. And that church has become an outpost where they take those new Christians in and they take those new pastors in and they train them and disciple them and mentor them and send them back out into the jungle to plant churches and to pastor and to reach their village and to reach their group and to reach their tribe. And it's unbelievable what's going on in Peru right now. But they're sacrificing for the gospel. Doesn't their sacrifice encourage you that you can face what you're facing? And not just that. That's our team that's going to sacrifice, but they're just going to be there 12 days. What about the missionaries who live there? And the pastors who come from the jungle and risk who knows what to travel that dangerous jungle and be trained and go back to a village that may not want to hear the gospel. Does their, does their sacrifice inspire you to do something more for the gospel? It does me, it inspires me. And this is what the apostle Peter is saying. Hey, yes, we fight in the presence of the enemy. Yes, there's an enemy against God's will and against God's plan. But you know what? There are people sacrificing all over the world today who are suffering in ways that maybe some of us are and maybe some of us have never dreamed of. And doesn't their sacrifice inspire you? We can draw strength from it. We can draw encouragement. Number three... Always be faithful to the gospel. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this, that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. If you don't know anything else about the book of 1 Peter, this verse is the key verse of the entire book. It's the central verse. And he says, this is the true... What does he mean by this? What is the true grace of God? He means the whole letter. In this letter, he's confirmed that although they're suffering, this is a true Christian lifestyle. Always be faithful is what he's saying to them, whether you're suffering or not. And the gospel is basically this. Jesus has conquered all evil. And he invites us to follow him in life, in death, and in resurrection. That's what the gospel is. Now, sometimes the culture's for the gospel, and sometimes it's against it. Sometimes your family will stand with you in the gospel, and sometimes they won't. Sometimes people will receive the gospel, and sometimes they won't. Some days you're going to believe it with all your heart, and other days you're going to struggle. And the apostle Peter says, neither matters. 
Always be faithful to the gospel, whether you're in a big crowd and accepts it or you're all by yourself living it alone, whether the culture wants it or they don't want it, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, whether you're filled with doubt or filled with faith, always be faithful to the gospel. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the Bible tells us what the gospel is, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, for no one can boast. In other words, God has a free gift of grace that he wants to give every person on earth. And that is an incredible, growing relationship with him. Do you have a real, growing relationship with Jesus? Do you know him that way? Have you accepted that gift of grace? Could you say right now with 100% certainty that I know that God's grace lives in me and has forgiven me and I have a real relationship with God? That's what that means. Here's the last point. Always live in hope. Okay, so let's just summarize for a minute, all right? So far, here's pretty much what I've told you. If I'm humble... I still might not get promoted. <laughs> okay, that's one. Number two, Satan has a plan to destroy your life. Whew, this is good stuff, isn't it? Number three, my heroes should be people who are suffering. Aren't you glad you came? It's incredible so far, isn't it? Look at verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So, so let me just tie all this together now. If you're waiting until you get your house paid off, or you get your retirement set, or your kids move out, or you conquer the sickness you're battling, or your promotion comes, or you get your house built, or you get your business going, or you get your life just how you want it. If you're waiting for the perfect equality in society, or government changes, or new laws, or a better economy, if you think you're going to make this life good enough so that you're never going to hurt or struggle again, then you're waiting on the wrong thing. Because here's the good news when he, when he says always live in hope. We don't have hope because everything's going to work out the way it should here. We have hope because this is not all there is. That's why we have hope. That's the hope he's talking about. Because bad stuff happens and people don't respond the way that they should. And people that should get promoted sometimes get overlooked. And people that shouldn't get sick do get sick. And all of this crazy stuff. And we can't change all of that and make this entire world perfect. But I got good news. This world isn't all there is. In chapter 1, Peter described this hope at the beginning of the letter. And now he references it again at the end. Listen to what he said at the very beginning. Verse, chapter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Your bank account one day is going to run out. Your health's going to dry up and fail on you. People you trust are going to fail on you. You are going to endure suffering in this life. But can I tell you, there's coming a life where that stuff will never touch you again. And we call that eternal hope. Listen to what he says. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Can I just tell you, sometimes in this life, there's not a solution. So what do we do? Do we give up? Do we quit? Do we get bitter? No. Why? Because we have a future hope. What you're experiencing today is on a time clock. It's going to expire. It's going to run out. So I just brought this little graphic I want to show you. So here's kind of how it looks. There's the present circumstances and there's the future hope. Between those two points, we have, we have a lot of problems. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of life that happens through there. But do you know what God says is jammed between those two lines? The grace and power of God will sustain you and hold you and carry you from the present circumstances to the future hope. So let me read it to you. We already read it in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Between present circumstances and future hope, there's a lot of anxiety because this world produces it. There's a lot of fear and worry and problems and struggling and suffering. But this passage we read from this morning is overflowing with the grace of God. I can remember when this verse first meant something to me. When my wife and I lived in Florida and we were looking to make a change in ministry because we knew that God was calling us to something different, we interviewed with a church in uh, Mississippi on the coast. And um, man, the truth is we were very, we were very anxious about that decision because we just didn't know what to do. And I went home, we visited and we went back home and we were praying about what we should do. And this verse, God gave me this verse. I'd never, it never really stuck out to me before. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So I said, okay, Lord, apparently you're trying to tell us something. I don't know what it is, but we have all these concerns and I don't really know the right, we don't know the right decision to make. So I'm just going to give you all these worries and these concerns and fears. And so that was it. A month or two later, we revisited the same church again. We walk in, and a greeter at the door handed me the bulletin, and I opened it and looked, and they had the verse for the week. You want to know which one it was? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Can I be honest with you, completely honest with you? I didn't even know what that verse meant in its context. I'll tell you more truth. 
I didn't know what it meant in its context till this week when I studied this. And you know what that makes me so glad about? You don't have to understand everything the Bible says for God to speak to you and help you. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to know everything. You don't even have to know anything. You know why? Because He loves you. Cast all your anxiety on Him. Why? 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 Because He cares for you. He loves you. His grace is for you. His heart is for you. He is for you and not against you. And you don't have to have it all figured out in order for Him to help you. All you have to do is ask. Really, all you have to do is respond. Because He calls us to come to Him. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask the prayer team to come and I want to ask you if everybody in the house would just close your eyes. Let's just make this a private moment. And I just, I just want to talk to you for a minute. We're going to pray and then we're going to go home. Okay? So if you just find a place you can be comfortable. Man, I believe with all my heart today God is calling some of you to start a relationship with Him. He's calling you. He loves you. He wants to help you. And today, if you're here with every eye closed and you say, I don't have, if I'm honest, I don't have a real relationship with Jesus. But today, I want to start a real relationship with Jesus. Would you just remember me this morning and would you pray for me? If, you, if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand and say, hey, pray for me. That's me. I want to start today a real relationship with Jesus. Would you just lift your hand? Let me just see it. Just lift your hand. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I see it. Thank you. Somebody else. I just want to start. Yeah, I see it. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I just want to pray for you today. Not going to embarrass you. No, nobody's going to nobody's going to do anything to make you feel uncomfortable. We just want to pray for you. I want to start today a real relationship. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for waiting and putting your hand up anyway. Thank you for that. Well, God loves you. and He's going to honor that. Anybody else? I, I, I don't want to miss you. Such an important decision. Thank you. I see it all the way at the top. Thank you so much. Yeah. With every eye closed, I want to also ask you this. If you're here this morning and you're struggling or you're suffering or you're battling sickness or if you need strength, if you're dealing with fear or anxiety, can I tell you, God loves... And look, here's what always happens in a moment like this. We always inside our hearts say, yes, but compared to some other people, I'm not going through anything like what I know some people I know are going through. Can I just tell you something about that this morning? You don't have to be going through something worse than the people you know for God to care about you. He cares about you. Look, the things I went through 10 or 15 years ago don't look like a big deal to me now. But God still cared about me and loved me and confirmed and reached out to me and ministered to me. 
So God loves you right where you are. So this morning, if you're struggling, if you're, look, it takes a lot of humility to say, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I'm battling sickness, I'm dealing with some things. But can I tell you, God wants to minister to you today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, today, that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, let's lift it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all over the building. Yes. Yeah, in the balcony. Yes, 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 yes. Can I just tell you, God is here today because he loves you. And he wants to help you. So with every eye closed, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I want to ask you to step out from where you are. It doesn't matter why you raise your hand. Maybe you want to start a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're struggling. It's time for you to turn to Jesus for help. It's time for you to turn to Jesus and receive and walk in that grace and power and life and mercy. And as I pray, if you lifted your hand, as soon as I start praying, I just want you to step out and come on right now. Lord, I thank you today, and I love you for what you're doing in this room. Come on right now. I love you, and I thank you for what you're doing in this room. I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you that there was no battle I went through that was too small that you didn't care about because you care about me. Lord, I thank you for the people who are starting a real relationship with you this morning. Come on right now. Come on right now. I thank you, God, that you will not turn your back on us. You will not walk away from us. You will not abandon us. You will not leave us in the times of struggle in our life. Lord, I thank you this morning that you're moving in this room. You're changing lives. You're pouring out grace. You're extending new mercy. New lives are starting this morning. New journeys are starting this morning. Lord, breakthroughs are coming this morning. Miracles are coming this morning. The sustaining power of God is being poured out in this place this morning. And Lord, I thank you for it today. I thank you for it by your grace. By your grace. Come on, if you lifted your hand anywhere in the room, I want you to come on right now. Come on right now. Come on right now. Let him touch your life. Let him touch your life.